Right, if you could find your seats. And please stay standing for the reading of God's Word. Today's reading is in Psalms chapter 29, and that's on page 461 on the Bibles around the room. When I'm finished reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and your reply, thanks be to God. We say this because we are thankful God gave us this holy word. Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and help us to acknowledge just how holy and powerful you are that in heaven and on earth should admire you. You are king forever. Open our ears and hearts to what we need to hear today. Amen. Church, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. So uh, in just a moment, Pastor Kyle is going to open up the word and preach to us this morning. But uh, as an elder team, we wanted to uh, stand up here before you because we have an announcement that we wanted to make to the church and uh, so we're here united in our announcement together. And so um, I speak for all the pastors when I say that it's a great honor and joy to be your pastors. Uh, as your pastors, we've carried the burden of shepherding the flock of God in good times and bad, and always God is faithful. And uh, as your pastors, it's been an honor to uh, be here and to lead you. And um, we want to share with you something that's going on in our community this morning. And so um, if you aren't aware, Living Stones is not just Living Stones Sparks, but we have a family of churches. And uh, recently, our founding pastor, Pastor Harvey, who was the lead pastor of Living Stones Reno, through prayer and counsel and with the sending out of all of the Living Stones elders at all five churches, uh, he recently resigned his position as the lead pastor of Living Stones Reno and as the network director for the Living Stones family to go and start a new work in Burbank, California. And so Pastor Harvey, he felt that his giftings were such that he was no longer able to lead a network of five churches and a church the size of Living Stones Reno. And so when Harvey resigned, uh, there was an interim plan put in place to get us through the temporary um, until a permanent solution could be found. And so in mid-March, uh, Livingstone's Reno began a hiring process to find a new lead pastor. Um, and so uh, months before that, as elders, we had been praying because we knew this was coming. <clears throat> and back in January, uh, when this was something that was uh, brought up, it was suggested that Pastor Kyle's name would be on a short list of people to be considered for that position. And so... Um, as the elders of Sparks Church, since January, we've been fasting, we've been praying. Um, the elders of all of the other Livingstones churches have joined us in that. Uh, at the beginning of April, the application hiring process began. Uh, pastor Kyle was one of four candidates for the Livingstones Reno lead pastor position. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, they were able to narrow it down to two finalists for the, that, that position, and Pastor Kyle was one of them. At that point in time, the lead pastors of all of the Livingstone churches, they gathered us together as the leadership team, and uh, they just wanted to hear our hearts in all this. And um, what we can tell you is that um, us four guys who were a part of this process, as men, as hard as it was for us to say, we really felt like Pastor Kyle was a guy who should be considered and would actually be the best candidate for the position. 
And it's hard for us to say that because we know that it impacts us as a team and it impacts you as a church. But we shared with them everything that was on our hearts, all of our fears, all of our concerns, as well as the things that we were excited for if this was to be the, the way that the committee went. And so we're standing here this morning to let you know that as of Friday two weeks ago, a decision was made and Kyle Bateson has been selected to be the new lead pastor of Reno Living Stones. It was not an easy process for anybody that was involved. There were pastors from all of the churches, leaders from the Reno Church, us. Um, we spent countless hours praying over this decision. Many tears have been wept in the process. We've lost many nights of sleep because uh, this impact, this decision is huge and it impacts a lot of people. Um, but we're excited. We are together this morning as a team of elders that knows that this is exactly what God wanted to do. We stand behind the decision that was made because as elders, we have benefited from Kyle's leadership. We've watched him grow as a pastor into the man of God that stands before us this morning who is capable of leading a church the size of the Reno Living Stones, who's capable of taking over the Living Stones network because of the way that God has grown him and the gifts that God has given him. Um, we're excited. We have watched God's hand in this. There has been unity in this decision from everyone involved, and the Holy Spirit has made it abundantly clear that this is the best decision to be made. Not only the best decision for the Reno Church, but the best decision for Kyle. And knowing that, and knowing that God has been in all of this, I know that it's going to be the best decision for our church. And so as we look forward, it might be unclear what's going to happen to Sparks Church, but we're here to tell you that we are behind you guys. We want to love you and care for you during this process. Pastor Kyle is here for us still. And all of the other churches, we just met together as an elder team from all of the Living Stones. And they're all behind us, praying for us. And their goal is that Sparks Church would not be forgotten in the midst of this. And that Sparks Church would be cared for greatly in the midst of this. Kyle? Thanks, guys. Um, all right, so I just want to, we're going to jump into the psalm in a minute, but I want to share a little bit of my journey with you and my wife's journey with you, uh, because as exciting as this is, we really believe that God has spoken. It also feels like our heart is being wrung out, and um, so uh, our journey started back in November um, when I... One of the things I do, one of my job responsibilities is to lead all the Living Stones churches. And uh, the Pastor Harvey had been out for a while, so I'd been spending a lot of time down at Reno, at the Reno Church, helping the staff, helping guide them along. And um, back in November, I was also trying to woo Pastor Greg to come over and join us in Sparks. I'm like, it's okay, sell everything, move, you know, move your whole family out here, it's going to be great. Come work at the Sparks Church. And um, so there was a day... That came and I was at Walmart in the spice aisle because I was making ribs and Pastor Greg calls me. He's like, okay, I want to be in, but I have one more question. There's a handful of us at the Reno Church who don't think Pastor Harvey is going to come back. And if that doesn't happen, um, are you going to take, thanks Tom, are you going to take the Reno position? Because I know they're going to ask you. And in the store, I was just like, heck no, I'm all sparks. Like, I believe that God has given us this house. I believe that uh, we're in the neighborhood we're supposed to be in. We have all these connections and relationships. And our church has just been through so much together. Like, um, we've seen, like, I've seen so many of you come alive in your faith um, at this church. We, we set up and tore down at 5 a.m. At, at Mendive Middle School. We literally built this building. Um, the, we remodeled it and, and made it fit for worship. And we dug a trench and spent countless hours here like we've been through so much and I was like no way like Amanda and I just had a conversation about how content we are in this position we don't we don't see any need to try to rise to a higher position so I was like heck no um so then the next day and, and so with that Pastor Greg's like oh, okay good then I'll come over and we're gonna move our whole family over here so then the next day um we had a meeting here with some of the other Living Stones pastors from the other churches and 
Pastor Craig from the Reno Church. Um, he came into my office and had just kind of a moment he where he was freaking out a little bit, and he was like, "Man, I'm I'm really worried that Harvey might not come back." And he just said, kind of tongue in cheek, "So are you ready to take the Reno leader position?" And I was like, "No, that's not going to happen. That's going to be you." But then he walked out of my office, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, what's going on?" And so um, I talked to a counselor once a month, a counselor who counsels pastors. And that following Monday, I had a phone call with him, and those two conversations just haunted me. And I talked to him, and I said, hey, this is going on. And, and he said, well, what did you say? I said, heck no. And he said, well, who gives you the right to tell God no? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he said, Kyle, like, you asked Pastor Gavin to move his entire family from the Sparks Church to go help the Carson Church. He's been there for eight months, by the way, and for they've seen eight baptisms, so one for each month that he's been there. Um, you asked Pastor Greg to move his entire family over to Sparks for the sake of the kingdom. He said to me, what gives you the right to be better to the, than them where if God asked you to move your entire family, you would tell him no? He said, maybe instead of being so quick to tell God no, you should ask God uh, that you should pray to God the prayer of Jesus in the garden. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And so he's like, I want you to pray that prayer. So I said, okay. So in November, I started praying that prayer, not my will, but yours be done. And um, then in January 1st, uh, I had some time to myself. My family and kids went to go see Mary Poppins. And I didn't want to watch that movie, so I was at home. <laughs> and uh, I had some time by myself, and I was just praying and reading my Bible, I was praying for you, I was praying for our family, and I was asking God, what do you have for us this year? What do you have for us? And I really believe that I heard the Holy Spirit say, I don't want you to have the spirit of Jonah. And he, he gave me a word. He said, your word for this year is surrender. And I broke. And I just started bawling in my living room. Because I realized that though I knew in my head that this is not my church, I'd been believing in my heart, like this is my church. These are my people. It's my life. And God's like, none of it is yours. It's all mine. And so you need to hold your hands like this. This is the posture of you and your family for this year. And so from that point forward, I, I started just saying, okay, God, I surrender. Whatever you want is best. I don't know what you want is best. I still thought Harvey was coming back. But I just said, whatever you want is best, I'm going to do it. Later that month, Pastor Harvey came back and um, asked to resign and be sent down to Burbank, California, and conversations started happening, and my name kept on coming up as somebody who should apply for the position. And so um, at that point, my wife didn't like that idea. She even said to God, if you're going to do this, you're going to drag me over there. <laughs> um, but she also felt the call to surrender, and she started writing all of her fears, all of her worries and anxieties onto little note cards and Every day she would sit in our floor and she would just lay them down before God and say, I surrender to you. It's all about your glory. I surrender to you. I surrender this to you. I surrender this to you. I surrender this to you. So we started doing that for several months. I started getting phone calls from the guys who counsel our church and have been counseling our church for seven years. And they started saying, Kyle, you are the person who needs to take this position. And um, I started to have a shift Okay, maybe this is what's best. Maybe this is what is needed for living some's churches. And so there was a shift in my heart. And so I just started to say, God, if this is what you want, I gave him a list. I don't think you're supposed to do that with God, but I did it with God. I gave him a list. I said, if this is what you want, here's the things that you have to do. You have to make me not just want a position. You have to make me love the people. You have to make me love the, the mission field in the city. You have to change my wife's heart so that she's not like just whatever, I'll follow Kyle, where she actually wants to do this. You have to convince all the Sparks elders and Pastor Greg, who I just made a deal with him to move his whole family over here. You have to convince the Reno elders and the Living Sons family elders. You have to confirm this all around. And I'm not going to be a part of the decision making at all. And if you do that, then I'll know that this is what's supposed to happen. And sure enough, over the last two and a half, three months, um, that's exactly what every little thing on that list God did. And um, so I'm excited because I believe that God has really spoken. I'm a whirlwind of emotions. I'm also 
uh, very relieved because this whole process of waiting is over. I've been praying and fasting since November. But I'm also deeply saddened because I don't want to leave you guys. And uh, as I've been thinking about that, 2 Timothy 4 has been coming to mind. And in that passage, Paul's in prison. He's at the end of his life. And he writes, all these other people have left him. Some have left the faith. Others have gone on to other kingdom work. And he says this phrase, he says, Luke alone is with me. It's just hit me, the power of having people with you. And I feel like you guys from the beginning have been with me. You wouldn't be here if you weren't. You would have left if you weren't with me. (laughs) But you guys have been with me through all my shenanigans, through all of my awfulness that I've done and said and my leadership mistakes. And you guys have been with me, and I want to thank you for that. Paul also writes in that passage just how painful it is to have people leave. He says, Titus went up to Dalmatia. Now, we know Titus didn't leave the faith. Titus went up to Dalmatia to continue the gospel work. And, uh, but Paul still writes, it still hurts. And there's a reality to the fact that this is going to hurt. And it does hurt. But I love you deeply. And I think it's actually good that it hurts. <laughs> if you're like, well, fine, great, go. Um, we don't want you here anyways. That would be a bad thing. So I just want you to know that we feel like a whirlwind of emotions. There's been times Amanda's like, I feel like I'm schizophrenic. Like one moment I'm, uh, you know, all excited and just playing these voices in my head of excitement and dreaming. And then the other moment I'm freaking out. Or I'm bipolar, I'm up and then I'm down. I'm, one moment I'm excited, the other moment I'm on the floor crying like a baby. And so that's all part of how we feel, but we do believe that this is what God has spoken. And we do believe that the kingdom advances through trust and sacrifice. There is no other way. I fear, Pastor Gavin said this at our retreat yesterday, he said, I fear that the devil will start to whisper into our ears, what about you? Living Stones owes sparks. But the reality is, we don't, we're not owed anything. Jesus gave everything for us. It's all to him we owe. And so, That's the vision I want to place in front of you. We're going because we feel that this is a call from God, not an opportunity for Kyle. This is a call from God, a sacrifice from the Sparks Church. And how awesome is it that as a Sparks Church, we've been healthy enough so that we can send out Pastor Gavin, and then now we can send out me, and we're going to get a great pastor here. We've been healthy enough to bless the kingdom in that way. God will always bless trust and sacrifice. And so I was talking with my mom, you know, Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. And um, I was talking with my mom after the decision was made. And she said, Kyle, don't you dare get up there and say sorry. She said, you get up there and you put the kingdom of God ahead of us. And you show us that this is how the kingdom works. And it's for his glory because that's what we need to hear. And so just in honoring my mom, that's what, that's what today's sermon is all about. It's really fitting that it was all planned, that today's, the title for today is Ascribe Glory to the Lord. Now, in order to help you listen to my sermon, let me just give you the plan of moving forward really quick. Because um, I know you're all like, what are we going to do? <laughs> okay, I'm not leaving next week. I'm here until we find the right replacement here. Um, the only wrench into that is that uh, all the elders still want me to take a sabbatical this summer from July through September. And so, and we do that at Living Stones. It's Living Stones policy. All staff pastors have to do that. And that's because most uh, people in ministry don't last 10 years. And we at Living Stones want to have pastors last several decades. And in order to do that, we need to provide proper rest. And so, um, so that's happening. So our goal, we have... God, it seems like God has moved ahead of us. We have a handful of candidates who are uh, ready to, they're applying right now. They're, they're going through a process. We've developed a leadership team that's going to be helping to interview them. And we're going to have them, them, men and women, speaking into this decision together. Um, and we're hoping that we'll, 
we'll explore these candidates real closely because it seems like God has moved ahead of us. And if we're still not at peace, then we'll widen the net. And we're not going to settle. We're going to pick the person that we all believe that, the, that, that this is the one God wants to lead this church. And he's going to be a great preacher and a great leader. And so that's what we're looking for, and that's what we're doing. And we're hoping that over the next eight weeks, while I'm still here, we can kind of get going in a positive direction. And if I have to go on sabbatical and uh, we still don't have an option when I come back, then I'll be back here until we get that replacement. And so that's the plan. And sabbatical actually might be good. Um, Pastor Matt's wife, Kelly, said, she's like, well, maybe, (laughs) it was kind of funny, but I think it was totally true. She said, maybe you're going on sabbatical so that we know we don't need you anyways. And I was like, yeah, I think that's it. Like sabbatical is part the pastor breaking from the, um, the drug of ministry that keeps you up all night. But it's also the church taking a break from their pastor and seeing that Jesus is our chief shepherd. And uh, that's what we're all about. Okay, so we have a plan in place for moving forward. We're going to get a great option now. We make these kind of sacrifices because our life is about God's glory, not ours. Amen? That's what Psalm 29 is all about. So if you look at verse 1, if you want to have your Bibles open, it's on page 461 on the Bibles around the room. This is written by King David. And King David says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. David is commanding all people everywhere to give glory to God. To praise God. And he does this because this is what we were created to do. As John Piper says, we are most satisfied when God is most glorified. And so we think, what culture says is if you focus on yourself, focus on yourself, focus on yourself, you'll be more happy. But the scripture says, focus on God, focus on God, focus on God, and that's where you find true happiness. You were created to praise. And if you think about it, C.S. Lewis talks about this in his meditation on the Psalms. He says, you know, everybody everywhere is walking around praising something. I was just at Tahoe with uh, these pastors, and me and Pastor Jason were standing out on the deck, and we were looking out over Zephyr Cove, and he's like, man, look at just the colors in the, in the lake, it goes from like green to dark blue. And, and just look at these trees. Look at these mountains. It's praising. Um, we're, we're walking around. If we, we praise athletes. We praise sports teams. Uh, we, we praise um, great books and movies. We praise great music. We're walking around everywhere praising what we think is most valuable and most beautiful. You might be a grandparent and you have your, your, the little ones, the over to the house and you just are laughing and praising because of the beauty that is displayed in their little person's life. And not only are we praising naturally, we're constantly inviting people to join us in the praise, right? Pastor Jason just didn't stand there and say to himself in his head, that's beautiful. He said, look at that. That's beautiful. Um, If you see a great movie, you're going to invite other people to it. Like how many of you have been invited to Avengers in the last couple weeks? Have you seen Avengers Endgame? Like, you got to go see it. Um, If you see a great sports play, you'll press rewind so other people can watch it. Um, If your kids do something funny, you'll gather everybody's attention or might even take a video of it. This happened to us last week. I said, hey, Amanda, look at your son. And both standing, our littlest one, is standing on the edge of the trampoline, his pants around his ankles, and he's like peeing on the rocks like this. (laughs) And as a dad, I was just so proud. But we were just inviting uh, others to praise. I was, I was like, look at what, this is so fun. We're going to miss these moments one day. So I was inviting, and this is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. They de- their delight is incomplete until it is expressed. 
And he goes on to talk about like, how frustrating is it if you do invite something into pray something with you and then they're just like, meh. You're like, you gotta watch this movie. It's so good. And they watch it and they're like, meh. Or you're like, make some really good food, some ribs. You're like, try that rib. And then they eat it. They're like, you hear a funny joke and you tell the joke and nobody laughs. That is the worst thing in the world. Why? Because delight is made complete when other people join us in our praise. And that's what David is doing here. He's saying, everybody, everywhere, praise the Lord. Ascribe glory to the Lord. Make your story about His glory. Quit making your story about your glory. Make it about His glory. And you'll find deep happiness because this is what we were created to do. And, and this word glory, he says, here is this Hebrew word, kabod, and uh, it has two meanings. First of all, it means respect and honor. It was used, the same word was used um, when you would honor a military person with a medal of honor. And so it was this, this person has done this incredible thing, uh, this extraordinary fighting, he, he, uh, this heroic work, and so we're going to give him the highest honor by giving him this medal. And David is saying, this is what the kind of honor that God deserves. The highest kind of honor. And then he, and then also, this word kavod, uh, it means weightiness or heaviness. And, and so it's revealed for us in the scriptures through a term that Christians sometimes talk about called the Shekinah glory of God. Have you heard that term before? The Shekinah glory of God. When Solomon built the temple and thousands of people were there praising God, Solomon got on his knees and praised and the special presence of God's glory, his weightiness, fell on the people and every person there, all the thousands of them, just fell on their face and cried glory. Um, this is also revealed in the New Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, one of the ways that God revealed his name, he said, you, you want to call me a, a name? My name is I am. I just am. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus is on the scene on the night that he's about to be uh, killed and, and he's arrested. In the garden, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. A bunch of soldiers. They say, are you Jesus of Nazareth? What does he say? He just says, I am. And all the soldiers fall on their face. That is the weightiness of God's glory. It's a leveling, humbling glory that makes us say, all praise and honor goes to you. I am not powerful. You are powerful. And what's so crazy is those soldiers go on to arrest Jesus. If I was one of those soldiers, I'd be like, nah, I'm done. <laughs> I ain't touching this dude. And that just goes to show us that we can experience the glory of God but still reject it. And so David cries, we need to ascribe to him this glory. We need to acknowledge it and give it to him because he's worthy of it. He says it's do his name. What is due God's name? Nothing is due to us. What is due to God is his glory. A name is a reputation. That business has a good name. It might be known for customer service or great food or something like that. A person has a reputation. You might be known as a bad reputation. That person's a hothead. Lose their mind. You might be known as somebody who's very sweet and kind or always thoughtful or a great gift giver because the name is based on your work and your presence. And so when David is saying, ascribe to the Lord, glory do his name, this is an invitation to meditation. It's an invitation to think and to remember why God has the reputation that he does. And so what that means for us in our busy life and busy cultures, sometimes we need to slow down and just think about God. Think about God's reputation as creator. Think about the lakes and the mountains, the vacations that you have coming up where we're all going to travel to beautiful places. God created all of that. I was standing up at Tahoe and I was like, Man, God's feeding all these little squirrels, these little rascal squirrels that are running around everywhere. He's feeding the birds. And he's caring for all the fish. Think about looking at the stars and, and remembering that every single star is a blazing sun. Many of them probably have their own planets orbiting, orbiting around them. And, and they're so far away that the light from them left like a thousand years ago. So if the star dies today, we're, nobody's going to even know that it's died 
until like another thousand years. God created all of that just by simply speaking it into existence. Think about our bodies and the miracle of our bodies. Like I was thinking about, like your heart operates somehow off of electrical impulses that pumps blood through arteries to all of your body so that if you get injured, blood will come in and there's cool stuff in your blood that will come and heal that injury. And then the blood, like if you get a cut, it, God created it so that it closes and coagulates so that healing could happen. And then it comes back through veins, which have these like little flaps that just kind of push the blood back to your heart. And, and God created us with like a nervous system that, that, that can sense pain, but also like if you stick your hand on a stove, the way that your nervous system is created that your, is your hand will pull back before even the pain registers because it's a way of God protecting us. Like all just the genius of our bodies, the genius of creation. We just sit there and stare at babies. My sister's probably going to have a baby today, tomorrow. When is it coming? The baby's coming, and we're just going to sit there and look at this baby. Every time a baby's in the room, people just stand there. They're all just standing around, just staring at a baby. Because we're impressed by God's creation. And we should be. God's creation should make, as it says here, all cry glory. Think about God's care for every individual. God is the God of all comfort. The Psalms say that he keeps our tears in a bottle. Exodus says that God sees our suffering, he hears our cries, and he knows our pain. The God of the Bible is not a God who's simply just powerful. He's a God who relates to you and is empathetic. Jesus comes to us and shows us that. And so because Jesus came and faced every temptation that we face, he can sympathize with us in our weakness. He's a God who wants to wrap his loving arms around you and bring you peace. Think about the fact that God is gracious and merciful and that karma is a lie. Karma says what comes around goes around. If you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. But God operates on the principle of grace. That God gives us good that we don't deserve. And if there is discipline that we do deserve, he does it as a loving instrument to bring us back so that we would know him. And thank goodness we don't get what we deserve. Because if we wouldn't even be, we would all die right now. <laughs> because every single sin is worthy of death. But God chooses to give us grace and mercy. He's a God of justice who is committed to righting all wrongs. And one day he will return to fix this broken world. He's a God who's omniscient, meaning he knows all things. He's omnipresent, meaning he's in and holding together all things. And he's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. Nothing is more powerful than God's. Therefore, if God is for us, who could be against us? And because of that, we cry, glory. And so David here, he says, ascribe to the Lord glory, O heavenly beings. He's speaking to angels. And I love that David is speaking. How bold is David to start commanding angels what to do? He's speaking to us, and he's speaking to angels. And, and in so doing, he's just so hyped on the glory of God. He's like, I don't care who, like sometimes as a pastor, I have to say to you guys, because I'm not sure if you're paying attention or if you're asleep or something, so I have to say, amen, right? Like I'm like, give glory to God, right? David's doing that, but he's doing it to angels too. He's like, amen, right? Like give glory to God. And when he exemplifies for us is a bold and unashamed life that loves the glory of God. And sometimes as Christians, we can be so ashamed of our faith. I mean, this happened to me. Last week I was at lunch. I was eating uh, some uh, Mexican food down at a place in Midtown called Chewy's. And uh, our waiter was talking about just massive back pain. And I sensed deep in my heart that I should pray for him and offer to pray for him. And I didn't. Because, and here's the reason why. I'm like, he's going to think I'm a weirdo. And there was a part of me that was ashamed to be associated with the name of Christ. And the power of Christ. And I just walk away saying, God, would you please forgive me? I was ashamed of you. And so we look at this and we could say, how come David is unashamed? How can, how can he be so bold as to call on angels? Here's why. Because he knows that God is not ashamed to be associated with him, though he's a sinner. And that is the good news of the gospel. That God is not ashamed a, a to be associated with you. He loves being by your side. And when that sinks deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts, 
then we'll be unashamed for him. And then, and then the, this shows us here that David really believes in the weightiness of God, the glory of God. The glory of God, God, God's name and reputation really does hold weight in David's life. Does it hold weight in your life? What has the most sway in your life? Is it God and his reputation and his name and his words? Or is that, are you, is that on the same par as culture and music and your hobbies and your family? The thing that David is showing us here is the thing that should hold the most weight in our life, the thing that we should build our entire life around is the name and reputation and glory of God. And listen, that's the mission of Living Stones. That's why Amanda and I are willing to move the house of, sell the house of our dreams, which I swore, I'm like, this is our coffin. We're going to die here. I'm going to be buried in the backyard. I had a plot picked out where... But at the end of the day, if God says, this is going to bring me more glory, then we say, okay, I'll go wherever you send me. It's about his glory. Make your story about his glory. Then David goes into the next uh, section and he talks about God's glory revealed in a storm. And so I just want you, we're going to read this together and I want you just to imagine, you have to engage your imagination on this one, okay? So it says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, or a better way to say that is over the thunderous um, water-filled clouds. The God of glory thunders. So just picture a thunderstorm and... The Lord over many waters, the rains coming down. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. These are these giant trees. And and he's just reflecting on how when a lightning strikes a tree, it just blows up. He says he makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. It's almost like David is just watching a hillside in the middle of a thunderstorm and the waves are, or the um, wind is coming so heavy and the rain's falling and the trees are just swaying and it looks like calves just skipping around in the grass. And it says the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. That's just a cool imagery of lightning coming down just like from God's mouth. Just The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. And David is imagining an earthquake and the plates just shaking. And he's saying, what is all that, who's doing all of this? It's the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been caught in a thunderstorm, it's kind of scary. Like really scary. You know, and if you have a dog, they're like scared. You're scared. You're like, you're supposed to be helping me out right now. But everybody's scared. And uh, it's terrifying. But Here's the thing that I found interesting as I was meditating on this last night is David looks at the storm and where we see chaos, David sees glory. Because he sees the God above the storm. And you see, this section is actually a polemic or kind of like a mockery of of the other gods uh, in the um, area. The God of Baal was considered the storm God. And so people worship Baal and did all sorts of crazy things to worship him. And, And David's like, He's not the one in charge of the storms. The Lord, Jehovah, is the one in charge of the storms. And so David looks at this, and and we see chaos and have fear, but David sees glory and strength and power, the power of God. And in the Bible, storms are often a representation of chaos in our own lives. And I think that that's what David is thinking about. He's thinking and he's he's getting his people to think about when the storm comes in your life, because it will. And for many of you, you're in the middle of this storm. And it feels like the tectonic planks of your soul are shifting like an earthquake. And the the wind is coming and you just feel like it's never going to end. What you need to be remember is that Jehovah, Jesus, is Lord over the storm. And when we remember that, we won't see chaos, we'll see glory. This exemplifies for us what Christian maturity actually looks like. I'm reading this book right now called Move, and it's about the different types of people that attend churches. It's a leadership book, and, and they break out people into four categories. They said there's people coming to church who are exploring Christ, people coming to church who are growing in Christ, people coming to church who are close to Christ. And then they have a final category, and they call that those who are surrendered to Christ. 
The difference between those who are close to Christ and those who are surrendered to Christ is this. Those who are close to Christ are pursuing God in daily prayer and, and the disciplines of reading your Bible and trying to pursue Him each day. They have a personal relationship with Jesus. But those who are surrendered to Christ take it another step further. Where they live open-handed lives. Where they have the attitude of saying, whatever you ask, I will sacrifice for your name. And this comes in time where they've been asked to make great sacrifices and they do it. Um, they tell a story of a lady who works at a university and, and the university is running out of money so um, their department was getting cuts and a bunch of people were coming to be laid off. And so this girl who's a Christian goes into her room and she sits there and she starts having a little bit of a panic attack and freaks out. But then she says, wait a second. If God is the one who is in charge of it all, and if he's really working together all things for good according to those who are called according to his purpose, then if I get laid off, it's for my best. And so she says to him, bring it on. Whatever you have. Christian maturity has that kind of attitude towards chaos and suffering. If this is what you have for me, Lord, bring it on. Because I really believe that you're the Lord of all storms. And I really believe that if you're allowing this or even causing this in my life, it must be for my good and your glory. Bring it on. And that's what we're called to in this. And when you see that there's a Lord over the storms in your life, and, and yeah, as a church, with me leaving and going on sabbatical and, and having, it's going to feel a little bit like chaos. But what our posture needs to be as a church is this, Lord, bring it on. Because we trust that you've spoken, we trust that you must have something good for us, and we trust that you have our best in mind. And we're like little children who don't know what's best for us. You're our loving Father. Bring it on. Now he's looking at this storm, and not only does he acknowledge that it's a storm, he sees the power of God's voice in the midst of it. And he's acknowledging how powerful it is that God is speaking. And when God speaks, it's powerful. Amen? Now, God speaks in lots of different ways. He speaks in general revelation. He speaks through creation. and He speaks through um, uh, just everything that he's made and everything that he's doing in history. God is speaking. He's trying to get our attention. God also speaks through humans. He speaks through each other. He speaks through the community. He speaks... Uh, he gives people words to say to each other. And oftentimes that's how God directs us and speaks to us. God speaks to us through opening doors and opportunities and then closing doors and opportunities. God speaks to us a lot of times through our kids. God speaks in many different ways, but the most explicit way that God speaks is through his word, the revealed word of God, the Bible. And in fact, if you're thinking that God is speaking to you and it doesn't line up with this, it's not God speaking to you. And so David, no doubt, is he's, he's declaring the power that's in God's voice and he's illustrating it like th that God's voice has the power to break a tree. Like, that's powerful. Let's put that picture of that broken tree up here. This is a picture of a tree in Tahoe that got struck by lightning. Like, that's powerful. Like, that's the power of God's voice. And, and so uh, he, he's no doubt thinking of this. And so many people walk around and they say, man, I want to hear God's voice. I love what John Piper says. It's kind of mean, but it's also kind of funny. He's like, if you want to hear God's voice, open your Bible and read it out loud. <laughs> then you'll hear God's voice. God will speak to you. <laughs> because these are the words of God. And they're powerful when God speaks. And, and, and so what it shows us here. This, all this illustration is that when we immerse ourselves in the word, we will experience the power of God. And many of us have strongholds in our heart. Many of us have um, things that we feel like can't be moved in our heart. And the only way they will break, the only thing, only way that they will be shattered is if we're immersed in the word. And so this is a call for all of us to immerse ourselves. And as, as the Apostle Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, um, many Christians in America have the Bible. We have many Bibles sitting around, but many Christians have been Christians for decades and have never read the Bible. 
But what a gift we have to let the, the, the word of Christ dwell in us richly. This is the power of God. And, 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 and it takes the average person 72 hours to read the Bible. That's it. If you read that for 15 minutes a day, it'll only take you 288 days to finish the entire thing. That's nine and a half months. So really, we don't have an excuse to not be in this. And uh, you can listen to it. And I know that sometimes you're like, this is, some, some passages are exciting and some passages are boring. And you're like, I have no idea what's going on. But not reading it isn't going to help you understand it. <laughs> and not reading it isn't going to help you to get more of the power of God. We must pick up the book. We must pick up the book. And if we pick up the book and we let the word of the book dwell in us, we will see many breakthroughs in our life. And so I think that this is a gentle exhortation to be in the book. And I also think what's going on here is that David is comparing and contrasting his power as a human king to God's power as the king of kings. Um, he even says at the end here that the Lord is sits enthroned as king forever. Now, it was the job of a king. Part of what God said for his kings is they had to, uh, they had the Old Testament and they had to write down word for word the Old Testament, and then they had to read that copy every day. That was a part of the king's job description, to read the Bible every day and to meditate on the power. Of, and so David is just thinking about the power of this word and how, how different it is from the, his power as a human. And, and he contrasts this just with like, look, God speaks and blows up trees. He's like, I don't have that kind of power as a human. You ever try to tackle a tree, full-grown tree? Like, you, may, you know, you might have been with your friends in college. You're like, I'm going to take that tree down. I'm going to get it. Let's go. No, that tree wins every single time. And it just stands there like, oh, you weak, man. Like, the tree wins every time. God simply speaks and it blows up. There's two totally different powers at work here. And I think that this is a fitting word for our congregation today. We must remember that the power is not in the man in the pulpit. The power is in the word of the pulpit. Pastors are going to come and go. But as long as this is elevated, living sons churches will see the power of God. Billy Graham has this great documentary on Netflix. Have you seen it? Go home and watch it today. It'll make you cry. That's your Mother's Day gift. Go home and watch <laughs> Billy Graham's documentary. Billy Graham is, some of you don't know who he is, he's the greatest evangelist of recorded history. He spoke the gospel to more people than anybody throughout all of history, all over the world. And it's insane watching the video clips of this, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people coming to, to hear him speak. And then he lifts up the word, and then they come forward and give their heart to God. Billy Graham had a huge influence on my dad's life, and in many ways, I'm a Christian because of Billy Graham's ministry. And, and there's a part in the, in the video where he's walking around and people are saying, hey, Billy, hey, Billy. And instead of waving, he does this. He just starts shaking the Bible above his head. And it's just this powerful illustration that he's saying, the power is not in Billy. The power is in the word. It's in this. This is above us. This is where the power comes from. This is what we're called to unleash. Charles Spurgeon said, you don't... You don't need to defend a lion and you don't need to defend the word. It'll defend itself. You just unleash it and you'll see the power of God. And that's what we're called to do. And so whatever happens, we are going to pick a person who's going to do that. And we believe that we'll experience the true power of God. Now this power of God is summoned, it says right here in verse 10 and 11. It says, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The full power of God is summoned not to be against his people, but to be for his people. It's summoned for us. What does it say, verse 11? That the Lord might bless us, and strengthen us, and give us peace. David is reflecting on the massive power of a storm. And he reflects on this idea that God uses all that power not to be against us, but to be for us. 
And nowhere, this is most clearly shown to us in the life of Jesus Christ, isn't it? In fact, the Apostle John calls Jesus the Word of God, or another way you could say that, Jesus is the voice of God, the power of God. And when he comes and shows up, he uses his power to heal, his power to comfort, his power to die on our behalf. so that he could save us and give us peace. And there's this really cool story in Mark chapter 4 where his disciples are on a boat, and Jesus just preached. He had a long day of preaching, and so they're in the boat, and a storm comes. It's a raging storm, and these guys, many of them were fishermen, so it was a really bad storm because they start freaking out for their lives. And Jesus, it says, is sleeping on a cushion. I never really understood that until I started preaching on a regular basis and started realizing how exhausting preaching really is. But Jesus is sleeping. You know, they're freaking out. Jesus is just chilling out, just hanging out there, sleeping, taking a nap. And they they come to him and they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus woke up and he stood up and he rebuked the wind and sea and said this, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The storm is happening. They're freaking out. And Jesus is just like, and it listens. And then the disciples were more scared afterwards. (laughs) They're like, who is this? This is the God of Psalm 29. That's who this is. And he's revealing to us that he's using all of his power not to harm us, but to give us peace. And so the storms are going to come in your life. The floods are going to rage. Your life is often going to feel like a hurricane. But as David says here, the Lord sits enthroned over it all. And the only way to have peace in the midst of the storm is to have confidence in the one above the storm. And so I think this is an invitation to every single one of you. Maybe you are in a storm right now. Look to God and he'll give you peace. And trust that one day he's coming again and he's getting rid of all storms. And we'll cry glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for your power. Thank you that we don't worship a weak God. Thank you that we don't worship a God who has to bend to the will of history, but is rather bending history according to your will. Thank you that when we truly see the storms of our life as as you above it all, we can have confidence that you are doing it for our good. I pray, God, that you would give us a glimpse of your power, a glimpse of, of your glory, so that we might be a church who falls on our face and gives you the glory that's due your name. Help us to do this for the rest of our lives, no matter what it takes.